Welcome to How to Live Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd, a series to help us see who we are made to be so we can do what we are made to do. Hello, this is Dr. Chip Dodd. Welcome again to the How to Live Podcast Uncut. Thanks for joining. Because of um, numerous requests, after the needs podcast, I'm going to go back and do one more podcast on needs in terms of their importance for us and friends, for us and spouses, for us and children, for us with ourselves, and speak to the the vital importance and the strengthening that needs offer all of us. In 1972, uh, a song came out by a guy named Bill Withers, and it was called Lean On Me. And I really want to recommend that you, after the, this podcast or even before I get going, that you take a minute and listen to the music and the words. Because when music and words are put together, they really do go to a, a, a part of the brain that bypasses reason and speaks to us about uh what Pascal said, the heart has reasons that reason doesn't understand. And what Einstein spoke to when he said that the brain in terms of uh, thinking in and of itself and reasoning in and of itself is a um, a gray matter, that it doesn't take into account more to the story that reason doesn't encompass, which is the territory of the heart. Aristotle said that a friend is a person who halves our sorrows, shares our burdens, and doubles our joys. And this song that Bill Withers wrote, recorded in 1972, speaks to the very same thing that Aristotle was speaking to. The music and the words speak to us even loudly today. The the words say, sometimes in our lives, we all have pain and we all have sorrow. But if we are wise, Bill Withers sings, we know that there's always tomorrow, which means laying claim to the hope. And sometimes we need others to support the hope we don't even have for ourselves or don't believe. He goes on to say, lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. And then he goes on to sing, please swallow your pride. If I have things you need to borrow, for no one can feel those of your needs that you won't let show. So this amazing song, vulnerability, courage of need, self-awareness, empathy, compassion, creativity, risk-taking, all the things that, that move us into living healthy relationships. When we put down our egos, we put down our pride, we put down our self-sufficiency arrogance and step into how we're actually created. 99.9% identical And so many divisions in the world occur through our lack of admission. He goes on to say, "Just you just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. And he goes on uh, with the rest of the song. If there's a load you have to bear that you can't carry, I'm right up the road. I'll share your load. So he, he ends up... Uh, expressing to 2,500 years later what Aristotle said 
2,500 years ago. Not only that, but the most heard, most played song in the history of all music, probably, surpassing uh, anything you can come up with and see if this sounds familiar to you. I'll, I'll, I'll read some of the lyrics to you. It's a world of laughter and a world of tears. It's a world of hope and a world of fears. There's so much that we share that it's time we are aware uh, that it's a small world after all. There's the giveaway. It's a small world after all. But in that song are some actually profound lyrics that equal the statement of Aristotle and equal the the, the beautiful uh, combination of words and song that Bill Withers sang in 1972. And he even goes on to say there's just one moon and one golden sun, and a smile means friendship to everyone. Though the mountains divide and the oceans are wide, it's a small world after all, written by uh, two brothers, Richard and Robert Sherman. So it's that, and I know that there are many times you've been, perhaps if you've heard that song or if you've been on the ride in Disneyland or Disney World, after a minute or two, the song itself, you may be looking for a, uh, some way to, to escape the boat. But if we listen underneath the repetition, there is a strong message that all of us have needs. All of us are made the same. And if we'll dare to risk to uh, lean in to others, we may just find that which can make us stronger than we were before. And it will give us something to give others at their time of need, our ability to lean in and also lean on. So again, I want to mention the needs. I've mentioned the need to belong, the need to matter, uh, the need to security. The need for security is a common to every single one of us, completely normal. It's a place to go where you can be received and receive in terms of you being able to speak the actual struggle of what's going on with you and receive feedback from a person that sometimes you may not like because you trust that that person giving you that feedback desires your good. So that 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 security is a place where you can experience the competence, competence and care of others. And it's a place where you can go struggle and wrestle with the issues of life from confusion to heartache, where you can also share celebration without uh, resentment, contempt, or condemnation, that you can actually tell the truth about yourself without having to watch out for the critic, the inner critic or the outer critic, that you take the risk of struggling and, and the need for guidance I've mentioned before, for example, security allows you to go ahead and seek guidance. Guidance acknowledges that it's the first time through life. Nobody knows how to live it until you find out. And because you didn't come into life knowing everything, you've got to ask questions to find out what you need to know to take the next step. So guidance is is, is simply a, a common common need. We also need to grieve because life is so full of loss. We need attention, which means to be tended to because anything that's poured out has to be refilled. We need to be nourished. Uh, I, I know it may be a silly example, but uh, orchards grow fruit 
but they don't grow fruit without being nurtured, without being tended to. So the nourishment grows the fruit. It's in the trees, not the trees themselves. It's the nourishment, the feeding of the trees that grows the fruit. And attention is nourishment. We need support. We need to be listened to. We need to listen to others. We need to be trusted by being trustworthy, and we need trustworthy people we can trust. We also need uh, fun, which means to let go of the clock, to forget ourselves for a little while, and setting our hearts free, not falsely free through mood alteration that comes through drugs, alcohol, and harsh punishment of our hearts, but we need fun from the standpoint of running with a kite, watching it fly. And when children do that, they're not wondering how their hair looks as they run along. They're not concerned about what they're wearing. They're just simply completely, utterly mesmerized present, and the clock is gone. And some of you have been in those places in which when you do wake up to what time it is, you hate to leave where you are because where you are is an exuberant or a passionate or a pleasant, simple place to be, the the place where you could forget yourself. And from the standpoint of being conscious of what others might be thinking, uh, what others might be uh, feeling, what others may be going through, that you are fully, fully free. We hope that you are benefiting from this podcast. If you are interested in more material from Dr. Dodd, please go to chipdodd.com or Sage Hill Podcasts. Thank you for listening. We now return to the rest of the podcast. So these are are some of the needs. Uh, One other need uh, is touch. A very often confused need, but we all need it. Literally, children cannot thrive without touch, that they actually physiologically and physically need touch to grow. And all of us know that a helping hand, a touching hand, can communicate a message of support when done appropriately. And at the same time, touch can be one of the most abusive forms of communication because it can happen and without words being spoken, which leaves a person to ask all kinds of questions, but touch in its true, pure form literally feeds the heart. And I'll begin to wrap up this podcast with a story about the power of touch as a communication, how it feeds the heart to speak to the power of our needs as to how they predominantly are founded in emotional and spiritual relationship, that our needs are actually emotional and spiritual in their substance, and we need each other to fulfill them, as exemplified by Aristotle, um, as exemplified by Bill Withers, Lean on Me, and the Sherman Brothers, who wrote that song that is, I think, most played in the history of the world, and yet possibly most despised, but it is astounding in its profound statement because it's just true unless we are dead unless we are numb or unless we are so self-willed against our admission of human that that we are just robots but it is a world of tears it it's a world of hopes and it is a world of fears 
And there really is so much that we share when we admit it, that it is time that we are aware that we can share each other's burdens and celebrate each other's joys more than we often allow ourselves because of the teachings and the ignorance and the shame that many of us have been through to the point that we vow to reject ourselves as human and then in the process reject others who could be human with us. It was 1971, and uh, Bill Withers' song had not come out yet. Um, there were 88 of us kids. I was 14 years old. There were 88 of us that went out for this, our high school's uh, freshman football team. School had, I think at the time, 3,100 bursting at the seams with students. The coach didn't cut anyone. He just simply uh, ran people off. If uh, if you could stay, you could stay. And if you couldn't, then he really wanted you not to. And so uh, I tell you, uh, it wasn't that I wanted to play football so much as I, I wanted the approval that I thought going through this experience could bring me. And I would say that after I think it was three and a half weeks, uh, 88 of us went out, and at the end of three and a half weeks, there were, I think, 15 of us left, maybe 14. At one point, we were whittled down to 13, to uh, 12. And I'm not going to ever say that I was a great football player, because when we were at 12, uh, as some of you may not know, but there are 11 people on the field. I, I got to admit to you, at that time, there were 11 people on the field, and there were uh, on the sidelines was me two coaches and the, one of the coach's sons who was a, the water boy. So like I say, I'm never going to say that I was a great football player. But what was amazing was we ended up losing to um, the, this team that the coach screamed had, they'd never lost to before in the history of the school, which was, you know, a thousand years old. And um, he's told us to bring our lunch the next day because we were staying all day long and there were a lot of people who, who were going to leave early. And so with that threat, we all went home after the bus ride and the talk, prepared for the next day to uh, endure what was coming. Now, the coach that was doing the screaming, he really was a coach that um, was everything that Aristotle protested and Bill Withers uh, said um, is not what the song is speaking to. He was the uh, antithesis of what Bill Withers was uh, singing about. And uh, then there was another coach. Uh, his name was Gail Blair. I want to use his name because he had a profound impact on my life uh, for the next years and years and years and years, all the way till today to the point that I'm speaking about it. But at the, at the end of practice, there, like I say, there were 15 of us left. At one point, 12, uh, three, were, three came back from sicknesses or something. But um, at the end of practice, uh, he's, we had to run two 440s after a four-hour practice. And we had to run them under a minute 10. Uh, 440s would be 400s now. But 440s before we could, could leave and go home. And... Um, at that point, uh, only one person had quit. Um, and so w the first group runs to 440s. I think there were like 12 of us that day who were there, uh, I think because the, the number 13 left. And so the first group ran, the second group ran, 
And it was time for the third group to run. And I knew I was out of gas. I had no vapors left in the tank. I was done. And I, I was looking sort of down the barrel of what all that would mean, because I promise you, I think every single one of those of us who were still out there, we weren't playing for football. I think we we're playing for our daddies or we were playing for something as a way to, you know, belong and matter and say we fit and say that we had something that was uh, worth uh, being kept. And uh, we were a completely mixed race. Uh, we, we were with black and white team. Um, and so, and all playing for the same thing. And <laughs> it didn't matter what skin color we were, where we came from, socioeconomic position. It was just about hanging on and we were a unit. So when the, when the third group had to come up, I knew that I had nothing left. I did something that possibly for the first time in my life, because uh, I was this conscientious kid who well, I was so honest before that, that I would uh, not even vote for myself if, if we were like electing class presidents in the third grade or something. I would, thought it was uh, egotistical or something or it was wrong or I don't know. So I went over, I snuck over to the group that had just ran, ran and who had just run the 400 and I bent over and faked like I was breathing just really hard, like, oh, because I knew how to do that. And so I skipped one. So that group ran, they weren't counting. So I skipped one of the 400s. And then it came time for the second one and um, I was done. And so I, I couldn't hide again. And Coach Gail Blair said, uh, if you run, and I said, I can't, and I quit. And then one of the guys who was not the friendliest guy on the team said, uh, you heard him, he quit. What was amazing was at that moment, there was a kid I grew up with. We used to hang out all the time in fourth grade before our school separated. I'd go to ball games with his parents. We'd go get milkshakes. He'd spend the night at my house. I'd spend the night at his house. And I taught him how to hit a baseball. When, when we were in the fourth grade and uh, buddies. And then we drifted apart, came back together our ninth grade year on the same football team. And I was saying, I quit. And he said, don't. I remember he said, this friend of mine who remembered our years together looked at me and said, don't, don't do it, stay. And I, and I looked at him, I said, I can't. At this point, the coach was standing beside me. I didn't realize he had, uh, had stood so closely. And he said, you just, just run one. You can do it. And I said, I can't. And at that moment, he took his hand and he put it on my rib cage. He patted my rib cage. He said, you can do it. And it, it, it was the tone of his words that meant something because they spoke to my heart. But it was the touch that told me I could. The touch. I think every one of us out there was playing for that touch of confirmation, of affirmation, if you belong, you matter, you've got what it takes. I believe in you. I desire your good. I want you to stay with this. You matter to me. And I just looked at him and, and started running. And uh, uh, I, I ran the 400 under the minute 10. No, I think it took me two minutes and 20 seconds just the snarl on the other coach's face when I finished. And he said, you go up there and you better run a hundred yards 
under 15 seconds or you're going to run the rest of your life or something to that effect. Well, I went up and did it and ran it under 15, went home and stayed on the team. And I stayed on the team because of needs I didn't even know I had, but when they were met, it it absolutely gave me a level of courage I did not have. Even my friend who said, you can do it, stay, wasn't enough. It was that touch. Uh, just patted me on the rib cage and told me I could. And it was one of the people I think all of us boys was playing for. An older man who uh, seemed to have made it, who seemed to have what it took, and uh, blessed me uh, that day. And it, it made a lot of difference. And I still remember today. I'm speaking out today. And I know uh, Gail Blair has passed away. And maybe if some of his family members here just just know that they, your daddy or your uncle or your friend uh, blessed blessed this this boy when he was 14 years old. So I'm saying, I want you to listen to the uh, please listen to the song. Uh, I know it's old. 1972 is a long time ago. But what's amazing is um, I bet you if you play it, you'll you'll there'll be a 14 year old or a 15 year old. My age from back there um, will know the know the song or know the music or maybe know the words. So lean on me is the song. Thank you for listening. Remember that you have needs and you may find that by you admitting them and you acknowledging them and you um, uh, putting down your pride, you may just find that you have a friend that can help you carry on. And that it won't be long till you, your, that, that, that friend, him or herself, is going to need the same thing. So we're stronger together than we are apart. End with Aristotle. Aristotle said that a friend will share your burdens and double your joys. So let's get on with it. God bless you guys. And thank you so much for listening. I look forward to speaking again. 